Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. Rich Evans and Jaguar Racing roar back into title contention with double wins. Robin Frines bags two podiums for Envision Racing, and Oliver Turvey and Dan Tictum score rare points for Neo 333. All these stories and more coming up in the Race Formerly podcast from the Rome E Prix. Hello, I'm Andrew Vanderberg, and joining me as usual to pick over the events from the Eternal City is the Race Formula E writer Sam Smith. After four days in Italy, we look like a pair of pizzas, but a much healthier presence, I'm sure, is our guest, Jim Wright, who joins us to review the races and dip into several other key topics in the world of Formula E. Jim is a familiar face in the paddock after holding key commercial roles of Venturi, Mahindra, and now with the Avalanche Andretti squad, where he is the group commercial director. He's also been the secretary of the Formula E Teams and Manufacturers Association since its inception. Prior to that, Jim had lengthy spells at Williams, Tar Rosso and Virgin F1 teams from 1994 to 2012. And he's also written the odd column for the race about commercial stuff. So, Jim, welcome to the show. Great to have you here today. Thank you. Uh, pleasure to be on and uh, looking forward to, to going through the, the, the events of Rome. So, Sam, let's start in time-honoured fashion by trying to embarrass our guests. So, uh, how do you get on with Jim? Oh, well, very well, apart from Watford's home form, which is Jim's football team, which occasionally um, tests his patience, I think. But no, seriously, I think, yeah, Jim's a very respected, enormously respected uh, individual in motorsport with with great experience. And um, I, he clearly loves the sport as well, which, which also helps. Um, always very interesting, very erudite on commercial topics and sporting topics. So, yeah, he's somebody, I think, is a, a major asset for particularly for Tama, the Formula E Teams and Manufacturers Association that he's been the secretary at for, I think, since the inception, pretty much. So, yeah, someone who, like I say, is imbued in racing and has been for, for probably 40-odd years now, Jim. Sorry if that makes you feel a bit old, but it's probably around about that time in various positions. So you tend to see the bigger picture stuff in in sporting and commercial tones. So, yeah, it's uh, it's always a pleasure to, to chat to Jim. So we're, we're fortunate today. So, Jim, uh, Sam and I were actually both in Rome, but you weren't. So you're in a better position to say what it looked like from the TV. Was it as entertaining from the sofa as it was from trackside? Yes, it was. I mean, the Rome track is, is just fabulous, isn't it? It's everything that Formula E is about. It, it's those the backdrop of those Mussolini buildings with the futuristic Formula E intertwining, uh, going through through and around those buildings. And then you've got that circuit change, the elevation changes, I think it's 80 metres from the top of the hill to the bottom. And you've got the different surfaces. It's everything, isn't it, that Formula E is about. And, and the racing di- didn't disappoint. And I think before the start of a race, was it Vernon or, and Daria were asked pick a winner, and they said not a chance. You know, you could give me ten names, and any one of them could win. And and that that's great. That's great motor racing. Yeah, I saw Mitch Evans on the grid where he was obviously quite disappointed to line up ninth, and but was looking you know pretty confident. But there aren't many places and many championships, Sam, where you get drivers coming through the field in the way that he did. How, how did that drive rank among? Those are top FE drives that we've seen of the past. Top draw, absolutely top draw. And I think uh, I just got the impression that um, even Mitch was slightly surprised how efficiently and how quickly he was able to do it. Um, Jags came away from Mexico City in, in a real trough and they knuckled down with some deep dive debriefs after that event um, they were led down blind alleys that themselves you know I think I think Mitch was part of the the blame for that as well and, and acknowledged that and the, as a team they sort of galvanized what they had I don't think there was any dispute that they always had a quick package uh, but I think a combination of 
polishing the qualifying uh, protocols and, and getting that leaked. And I mean, ironically, they didn't do that on Saturday, did they? Um, they left Mitch out too long and he overcooked his tyres and he ended up in that ninth position. But I think it even surprised them how quickly they were able to cut through the pack with really strong energy management and just inherent pace. I mean, the Jaguar has always been very strong on 90-degree corners and traction out of slow corners and, and hairpins. I mean, the Marconi hairpin isn't especially a tight hairpin, but still, you need a good thrust out of that. And I think Jaguars, um, the way the systems work with also the the mechanical diff that the cars use is 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 very good it's very strong so they've they've used that they've harnessed it and they, they've got the result but you know they did it incredibly well i think from a human point of view mitch um spent some time back in new zealand which i think is really important i think everyone has roots and he wasn't able to go back and see his family for, for two years two and a bit years since the pandemic began um so you know that was a nice sort of human story that he was able to do that and and refresh himself and and get back into the group and boy didn't he do it i mean a remarkable set of results a very rare thing getting a double over a former e E weekend, especially, you know, especially as from a performance perspective, you know, we've seen we've seen things like Buemi in season two dominate before to that level, but that of course was when um, there wasn't there, sorry there was a bigger variation in the powertrain tech and the capability, whereas now in the final year of a rule set that we have in gen three so much harder you know it's really concertina to the pack i mean all bar one or well, two teams really are within uh certainly on on pace one lap pace within within five or six tenths tops at a, at a long track like rome so to do what jad did very impressive indeed when there's a mature rule set so yeah they deserve all the plaudits they got and, and all the points they begged this weekend yeah it, the big cat had, had rather blunt claws uh, at the start of the season jim so was it a surprise to see them turning around like this or was, was that latent potential always there no i, I don't think it was a surprise as, as sam said i think you know they were one of the favorites at the beginning of the year I do think that sometimes they overcomplicate things. And, and we saw again in, in Rome in one of the sessions where they left it so late to go across the line and because Buemi wasn't going at the speed that Sam Bird needed him to go at, Sam got very irate. And I, and I think if there's a criticism of, of, of that team, um, and who am I to criticise, but if there was, uh, it would be, did they overcomplicate things? Do they push things more to the limit than they should do. And and it's not the first time that they've been caught out in terms of a car not crossing the, the, the start line before the checkered flag comes down for the end of a session. Um, but no, it wasn't a surprise. And, and two very good, strong drivers, not only quick, but racers can overtake uh, cleanly, efficiently. And, you know, the car is obviously working very, very well. Um, the team's been coming together for two or three years. And you're seeing the, the, the fruits of that now. So not a surprise, but um, it, it shows how, how small the margins are because you know, if you look at Mercedes, we came away from Riyadh all scratching our heads saying, wow, how can we get near Mercedes? They looked ordinary this weekend, still competitive, but nothing special. Um, so it, things can change very, very quickly in Formula E. Yeah, Sam, I think um, Jim alluded to it there. What was incredibly impressive about Mitch's performance was the cleanliness of those overtakes because we, we saw quite a few instances where things got a bit mucky, bits of cars ended up flying off, which is just part and parcel of Formula E racing. But the way that he controlled and executed those races was highly impressive. Is he a, a genuine title challenger now? Yeah, and I think he always was. I think even though he'd accrued only one point from those first uh, three races, it looked extremely bad on paper, but... Um, I think they've always had the capacity to get big points quickly. Um, and, and so it proved at the weekend. Um, the overtaking was was clinical and it was decisive. Um, I think the days of seeing that kind of tactical contact, let's call it, are, I mean, they're not eradicated completely. I think that will always be part of some drivers' um, makeup. But what I'm noticing at the top of the field, at the sharp end, which has naturally come to the fore, and maybe we'll go on to this a bit later in terms of the qualifying format change, 
I think what that brings is a is a cleaner um, a cleaner focus for for the drivers at the front because they don't have those uh, pesky dragons or whatever that are out of position on the grid. You know, they can form a racing strategy much easier than they used to do in the old qualifying format. And I think that brings a, a purity to, to the racing. And uh, when you look at the top three in the championship, which is Jean-Éric Verne, Robin Freins and, and Stoffel van Dorn, they're yet to win a race but they're getting consistent points. Now, it's a real cliche to say, isn't it? You know, you've got to have consistent point scoring. Of course you do. For any champion championship uh, uh, campaign, you have to have that. But last year, you, you know, it was very much, it wasn't part of the, the makeup and, and the feature of winning a championship. Now it is. And I think that is in the forefront of drivers and their engineers and strategists' minds not to get involved in first lap scrapes as much. I mean, we will still see them, but I think more f- you know, further down the midfield and, and the rear of, of the grid. I think those days of seeing Van Dorn and, and Lotterer last season at Turn 7 at Rome, um, sc- scrapping for a, a line, um, a largely uh, thing of yesteryear. And I think that's good for the uh, for the long-term evolution of races in terms of results it wasn't such a great weekend for sam bird in, in the second jaguar although he did play a role in ensuring mitch got the result he needed but uh, his race on sunday ended with a with a shunt and he's got a three-place penalty for monaco can you explain what happened sam and, and is it a, a justified penalty well yes it was a justified penalty and it was it was ultimately such a shame for sam and for jaguar and, and but most importantly for nick cassidy who'd also driven a, a great race and come through and, and was the um, the the innocent or the mostly the innocent party in that um, Samba drove very well all weekend and probably deserved a bigger points haul uh, than he got in the end. But at turn seven, he just tagged Cassidy, he tried to get out of it, uh, but just there is so little room on the uh, exit of that corner that that Nick just hit the tire walls fairly gently and and his you know his, his race was effectively done and sam sam retired because of it um you know as far as i understand sam apologized to, to cassidy it was a bit of a, a slam dunk penalty really problem for him is that it comes at monaco a three-place grid drop isn't a complete disaster especially if, if jackie would show the pace that they did in rome but it, it is a much more difficult place to to overtake although formula e showed obviously that that with the sporting format they have and the in particular the attack mode that it can it can over you can overtake in places where F one and other formulas can't. So yeah, and Sam played a really significant part in Mitch's win on Sunday. I mean he he was able to um he was able to to flick a match into Jeb's brain and make it burn even further as we uh, as we saw Jeb had various degrees of rants um during his race and and Sam added to that and and and, and rattled him a little further so he did that just by holding him up for a couple of laps allowing Mitch to to make a bit of a break for it before that penultimate safety car and it it, it all really contributed to to the win so a nice team job by Bird and and again you know those two work in really really good harmony um and and it's paying dividends for for the team as a whole Jim Sam mentioned earlier that he feels that the way the new qualifying format has gone is rewarding consistency more it certainly made it a much easier narrative about where the pace is at the front from a team perspective have you changed the way that you operate do you uh, does it mean that you approach races strategically in a different way now uh, there are some changes um before i answer that can i can i just go back to a point sam was making on on the penalties um and it's quite interesting because you've got the stewards have at, at, at their um want a, a, an array of penalties which they can apply and they they don't like to to say it's x penalty for y offense and, and we understand that but it's quite interesting because you know the the penalty which sam gets for monaco um it, it raises the question is that sufficient at the end of the day nick cassidy was taken out of a race through no fault of his own and had points it lost points. Lucas Degrassi on Jake Dennis, very similar. And you question whether a five-second penalty or three-place grid drop or whatever, is that sufficient for taking someone out of a race? I'm throwing it out there. 
I, I think when I when I look at it, I think is that enough? Is it enough of a deterrent? And it's an interesting question. Yeah. No. I mean, what what else can you do? I mean, if you know, in that instance, both drivers' races were ruined. Um, you know, in addition to that, Sam got penalty points on his license. And look, I know, I know that's a separate topic and. I think many of us look at the penalty points and uh, and see them as pretty useless. I mean, last season, Andre Lotterer got us... Well, no one's ever actually got to the maximum amount. Of that. Well, just... you know, by rights, some of Lotterer's uh, antics last year, you know, he, he, he should have sat out an entire season if it was taken to his logical conclusion. But let me pick up on your, your point, Sam. You said that the penalty Sam gets is transferred to Monaco. But it shouldn't be that much of an issue given how quick the car is. That's the point. It, it's mm. not that much of a punishment. Yeah. And, and Nick Cassidy will look at that and think, well, you know what? You know, I, I had points taken away um, and I needed that. I needed that for my confidence. I needed that for my team. Mm. And I'm not having to go at Sam Bird at, at all. This applies to everyone. Lucas probably has hit more cars than anyone else in the history of Formula E. Um, and and that's his style, and he gets away with it quite a bit. Sometimes he doesn't get away with it. But to go back to your earlier point, that the driving appears to be cleaner now because the qualifying system is 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 fair. It's more of a meritocracy. My question is, do we need to to look again at those penalties? Because I'm not sure that the punishment is is always fitting the crime. So do you feel that the the penalty ought to represent? Um, what the driver who's been uh, penalised, uh, who's been impacted against, has lost. So if you take someone out when you're battling for 14th, it's not as severe as if you take someone out when you're battling for a podium, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know Sam's penalty is, is didn't apply in in Rome. It's now applying in Monaco. Do we need to do that? Could he not just have his 30 seconds or whatever penalty it's going to be? taken off his, his Rome race time. But then there's no real... Yeah, I mean, you know, he ultimately retired from that incident, didn't he? So, I mean, I, I just wonder if it's ever been discussed, and, and maybe, Jim, you, you you know, and you're, you're always for time, I don't know, but it, the attack mode for the following race, you know, we're talking about a following race and a following an event, and I understand that, but some incidents, it's, you know, it's almost impossible to to dock sufficiently the uh, perpetrator, isn't yeah. it, if you've both retired, for instance. I, I just wonder if it, with the attack mode and the time of that, it, has it ever been discussed or or could it be discussed to, to dock that a little as well? No, it hasn't. Um, I, I would say for the first five, six years of Formula E, it was consistently a point on our end-of-season review meetings to analyze penalties and were the penalties given a fair were they uh did, did you get a, a, a repeat of the same um penalty for similar offenses you know i'm thinking back sam to win the pit stops um in generation one mm-hmm. we had very different penalties given out for infringements there you know um Oh, we had the seatbelts that time in uh, in Chile and stuff. Yes, an unsafe release and that kind of stuff. So it's always been a point we review these things. Um, we're always told the FIA are continually reviewing it. It's really not your business. You carry on racing. Let us do the rules. And and we agree with that to a certain extent. But I think we are in a good position to say, look, here's a question. Is this fair? Is this working? Should we be reviewing it? And, you know, as you said, I was watching from my armchair uh, and I just would question sometimes now if we're getting the penalties right to fit the offences. That that would be my, my point. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. 
Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. So, Andrew, let me go back then qualifying, and, and these things are kind of linked. I think the qualifying system is now fairer. It's more of a meritocracy. I personally liked the qualifying, I think it was season four, where we had the championship protagonists all in the same group, but they could be drawn in either groups one, two, three, or four. So you still had that little bit of randomness about it, but it was was much fairer. Um, that was my favourite. Uh, the present system uh, is growing on me. I quite like. Um, I think the way they're showing the two laps side by side on the television is very, very good. They've got the graphics right there and hats off to Formula E TV for, for doing that. Oh, they did a good job of that this weekend for sure. Yeah, yeah. they did. Very, very good. But um, it, it is quite long now, and, and I'm not sure that a casual viewer or a, you know, one of our teenagers with low attention spans is necessarily going to be hooked on that for that length of time. Those knockout stages do go on for quite a while, don't they? I, I think so. And, and the other thing I would question is, you know, at the end there, uh, Jake Dennis had done that unbelievable lap you know we talk about jake being a latter day nigel mansell that was a mansell-esque lap in mm. his in his semi to, to beat mitch and then there wasn't a lot of time for him to gather his thoughts um calm himself down from that do whatever they're allowed to do on the car which isn't a lot uh and go out again so you know i, I question you know whether jeff who you know obviously would have had a, at least another five, six, seven minutes, um, had a little bit of an advantage there. Yeah, his tyres are cooled a little bit and all of that, haven't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the key point is the tyres. But it's difficult to get a way around that unless you even extend it further, by which time everyone's lost interest and is just looking forward to the race, aren't they, from a spectator point of view. I think for me, just uh, I think something that can be addressed is that in that gap, that more can be done. I think, you know, getting the two team principals together in this new nice shiny studio and doing a bit of low level trash talk or whatever, or you could even make it uh, amusing from that extent. I think getting the two team principals to kind of, you know, try and out psych each other is, um, is something that they should explore because we, you know, you want to see that you can't do that with the drivers because they're in the cockpit and getting ready or potentially you could, you know, why, why can't Dario, and Jack speak to the drivers in that five-minute gap because they do it at the end of the race. So why not? Well, here's an idea for you guys. Here's an idea for you. Have you, have you guys watched Extreme E? Not all of them. I've got to be honest. I haven't watched them all. Okay. So you will see... Okay, there's a command centre there where uh, as the cars go out for uh, qualifying or for the race or whatever it focuses in on the team principles and exactly the kind of scenario you've, you've described, Sam. And I'm wondering if uh, the team principles could be moved to that studio and create a sort of command center in the middle of a pit lane there where you've got Dario thrusting a microphone underneath their noses. Um, that might make for a bit of good theatre, actually. There was a lot of, I mean, hand-wringing probably is the wrong term, but people trying to work out how... Formerly, he can benefit from the amazing way that Drive to Survive has brought new fans into Formula One. But I think 
the essence of what Drive to Survive has done is created characters. And when you've got characters and character arcs, people want to engage. And in order to have that, you need to have tension and you need to have heroes and villains and good guys and bad guys. And, and the more exposure there is on that and the more tension, so long as it's not too artificial that you create in that, the, the easier it is to sell that narrative. And they have these little videos that, that come up and people talk about stuff, but they're all far too nice. Yeah. You need, need, need to have a need to have a few more bastards in there, quite frankly. Well, uh, when, you know, I wouldn't describe Nick DeVries as that, but uh, you know, after after Saturday's race, um, it generally wasn't known, but 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 Nick was pretty unpopular with several drivers, um, the DS to Cheetah guy certainly, and Pascal Verlaine, for which he got a which he got a result for that contact, um, and and having a spotter. In, in the TV studios, which I know that they, they've used before and probably still do to some extent, to, to understand and know that and then to exploit it in a, like you say, V2B, not in a completely... Um, it can't be too manufactured because it just doesn't it doesn't mean anything. No, but but it's, it's, it's there, isn't it? You've got drivers that are pissed off with another driver. Well, you know, have a little dig. See what you can get. I mean, that's what we do in the media pen and that's half an hour after the end of the race. If you do it straight straight off you're going to get something aren't you when when emotions and um and, and the adrenaline's pumping so yeah i think that certainly to be used in the context of this this studio in the pit lane you know that should be i'm, I'm sure that's part and parcel of their debriefs the aurora and the tv production are looking at that but that that certainly would be uh, a great deal of fun i think yeah i, I agree and, and to the point now we're hearing that uh, netflix are organizing for team principals to be doing doing tours of the the, the circuit in, in Formula One. So it, to your point, Andrew, it has brought those team principles forward uh, front and centre. And, you know, we've got some great characters there. You know, Dillbag is, would, would be a, a great character to have in that situation um, if he could get his cars up the sharp end. And, uh, yeah, it could be very entertaining. Well, that sort of segues nicely, Sam, into the next bit, which is a uh, Jean-Éric Verne story and uh, some... Very interesting language that you use on team radio. So, uh, how did he exactly burn his brain? <laughs> well, you know, it burns the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? When it comes to animated radio uh, banter and um, and making his point across, giving giving uh, a running commentary almost of how things are going in the cockpit. Which, you know, when it's going well, you don't tend to hear that that much until the end of the race. But when it's not going well, boy. Do we all know about it? And, and Rome was a real case in point where it must have, well, it was a must listen. And whoever made the radio so accessible for Formula E and, and, and the way that they they do that for us all, you know, frankly, should be knighted, I think. it's a, It was a great, uh, great thing to do. The confusion really stemmed from such a, a complex and flexible energy strategy that, that pretty much everybody was employing over the, the course of the race, essentially how long the race was going to be, whether it was going to be 27 or 28 laps. Um, because we've got this timed um, format now, 45 minutes plus one lap. But of course, you have to, the teams have to strategize the energy management, you know, where they're going to, where they're going to uh, regen and, and all these things are in this great big soup of a strategy. Um, and then something like race suspensions are thrust into it. And then extra time is, and then you've got to do these calculations on the hoof. And uh, and that really does test teams. You know, that is something that um, they practice and strategize during simulators, you know, these exhaustive simulation runs. But actually doing it on the day is, you know, does have its own, own nuances. It was happening really thick and fast. It was, of course, happening for the entire field. But if you're, you know, if you're cute, you know to go to Jeb's radio because you are going to get a lot of vocal and interesting comments between he and his engineer. Um, and so it was, and so it proved. And, and there was just a, a really great part of it where he was so confused about what he was being asked to do for the strategy and, and the cryptos that were being asked of him and, and how the race was, was going to pan out that at one stage he said, man, this is burning my brain um it's really burning my you know expletive brain and um i just thought that was brilliant and 
and so funny the way that it was articulated. I, you know, I re- at the same time, I really felt for his engineer, Thibaut Arnau, and, and also tech boss Leo Thomas, who's pulling the strings as well from a strategy point of view. Uh, you know, those guys deserved and earned some serious beers on Sunday night uh, because the stress of juggling all that with Jev in your ear and so animated was colossal. And, you know, it's it's very much at the moment. It's the adrenaline's going and, and they're trying to, Jev is trying to be, Jeff is racing wheel to wheel at 140 miles an hour, whatever, with those in and around him, and it's so close. But um, yeah, I spoke to Jeff afterwards, and you know he was he, he'd calmed significantly, was leading the championship, but he was still, you know, he was still kind of confused about what had panned out during that race. So um, yeah, that's where it all came from, and and and, and God bless John Eric Vern because he just keeps giving us great stories and, and that reactionary stuff that we just talked about you know that it's happening there and it's live and, and we get to listen to it as it happens it's terrific but andrew this is, and sam this is a part i really enjoy about formula e and i i think this is something which perhaps we don't talk loudly enough about these guys are racing in very difficult cars to drive um on street circuits very difficult conditions it's they're always in a fight. There's you never really have someone cruising. Mitch Evans' last couple of laps may be the exception, but you know what I mean. They're always racing, and yet they're getting all this complex instruction through their ears. If it's not beeps, um, it's engineers to do all of that whilst maintaining concentration racing around circuits like like Rome is quite phenomenal, in my opinion, and and really that's justifies the salaries these guys get it, it's incredible to see and understand oh I, I don't know and they do it i think with all those things going on i i would definitely forget where my breaking point was and and shove it into the barrier i can't believe that doesn't happen more often frankly yeah exactly right yeah um jim there were a couple of subpar performances uh, not least from the past two champions nick de Vries and uh, antonio felix da costa are you surprised at their struggles at the minute well it's quite interesting isn't it because um all through the championship now you're seeing struggles going on between drivers and you know i know sam regularly writes about market value of drivers and and silly season and you know if you were making your driver decisions now um you might have a different viewpoint from what you'd had before the season started but it'll probably change again by the time you know we've had another two or three races but at the moment, you'd have to say Jeff is well on top of, of uh, Antonio Felix da Costa, which is a little bit of a surprise. Um, and again, Van Dorn seems to be well on top of, of De Vries. So yes, there are some surprises going on. We've spoke about Evans seemingly having the upper hand over, over Bird. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff going on. Um, Lotra blowing away Verlin at the moment. Yeah. Um, so I don't think many of us saw that one coming. No. So very interesting stuff, and and obviously it goes to driver market values, and you know Sam will know better than me whose contracts are up, whose aren't, um, and you know the other point about that driver contracts is, you know teams will tell you we've got X under contract, but X may also have some conditionality in that uh, mm. contract, obviously, which says that if he's not in an agreed position in the table by such and such a date, then he's free to leave. So it's often a lot more complex than, than it, it, it will seem on the surface. It's interesting those those two drivers mentioned there, De Vries and De Costa, because both of them are in um, in situations presently where, well, certainly De Costa. I, 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 my feeling is that you know his his future will be at Porsche, and, and the rumours at the weekend that that deal is done. We don't know that yet, and I don't expect that to be confirmed until much later this year. But the feeling is that the De Costa will be a Porsche driver next season. With De Vries is is on the face of it quite complex because um, the team is Mercedes is going to go away from Formula E. That team is expected to um, carry on. We've heard the the rumours that. Things are close with McLaren, um, with with Saudi, um, with Saudi commercial partnership. There, um, we expect that to be announced in in the coming weeks, if not sooner. Um, but De Vries, of course, no one's talking about his option or his expected promotion to Toyota Gazoo Racing in the, the FIA World Endurance Championship. Now, if that's the case, can he do both championships? You know, we could face at least a one-time championship 
potentially a double champion, of course, if he wins again this year. Not racing in Formula Marine next season because there are certain exclusivities with Toyota, which we know exist because Sebastian Buemi has to take priority to Le Mans uh, and Sebring, at least, potentially another race um, in his contract. So, um, yeah, it's super interesting. And, yeah, I'm not saying that contributed to, to poor performances this week and this weekend at all but certainly it gives another indication that there's a lot going on in drivers uh, apart from what they're doing in the cockpit there's a lot going on uh, away from the track also yeah there's another when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply a driver which, which is is a driver pairing which is surprising me a little bit and and uh, Ido Motara seems really well on top of of Degrassi and you know he's been at the team longer than Lucas so that may take a little bit of betting in but Lucas has uh, a high price tag attached to um, you know his his driving contracts uh, he's touted around obviously by his, his management team um, highly, he's got to deliver in, in the second part of the season because otherwise I can see his value going down considerably and his options narrowing. Yeah. Well, another driver whose uh, contract expires at the end of the season is Oliver Turvey and he was part of the feel-good story of the weekend, arguably, when uh, him and Dan Tictum got Neo 333 into its first double points finish since... Buenos Aires 2017, is that right, Sam? It, it, surely it can't be that long ago. I, I was still working in the championship then. <laughs> <laughs> yes, five years ago. Extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, Nelson Piquet and, and Turvey finished in the top 10, and that hasn't happened since that time. So a real barren period for the team. We know that it's been through this restructure, or probably several restructures in, in reality, um, since 2019 time. And, um, and and that's continuing. They've got new headquarters. They're building for the future. Um, they've got some stability in, in ownership. They use a, a network of um, of suppliers, including uh, Integral Powertrain, which is a really a really strong tech company that that deliver um, great hardware. I think um, I, I think Neo are, are kind of look. There you know there are two there are two teams that have in the last few years been in that sort of wooden spoon bracket, aren't there? There are Dragon Penske and Neo 333. I think from the outside, it looks at the at the moment that, that Neo is in a healthier place. Um, we have written that we believe that, that Dragon, Dragon Penske will partner with DS for next season, which, if, if accurate, which we think it is, is that that will become a, a much healthier and, and more productive and performance-orientated opposition. Uh, uh, proposition neo i think what they've shown is that they can improve incrementally even in the last season of a gen 2 rule set and i think what we saw last season evidenced that yes there was some luck yes they had this um real gamble of a strategy i mean oliver turvey essentially freewheeled the first of the the first of those 27 laps on sunday and, and bag, banked a load of energy uh, which contributed to this this remarkable result of seventh place and and good on them you know it's uh, they took a huge gamble they tried it in mexico and it didn't come off and it did but you know they, they have limited options they haven't got the quickest package on the grid so they have to be creative and it paid off for them and and turvey is the kind of guy who can absolutely deliver um Dan Tickton is another, I think, uh, under-the-radar success story this season. I think he's been exceptional for a first, for a rookie, you know, in his first five races to deliver. Okay, he's not delivered results, but, you know, he hasn't put it in the barriers um, on multiple occasions, which many rookies have done. Um, he has... Um, He's obviously a feisty character, which is absolutely fine. Um, he doesn't have m- many filters, but... 
he is um, he's delivering and he is you know he's putting some pressure on Oliver and I think when you get that with a rookie it, it pushes the experienced old hand to, to to new heights as well so I think they've got a really nice setup there I'm expecting them to get more points this season um, and as we saw in free practice three when Dan Tictum was fourth pretty much on merit. I mean, you know, it wasn't as if it was a, you know, there was an anomaly. That that lap he did was pretty much on merit, and he was disappointed not to get a sniff of the duels in the afternoon because he had a, a brake split issue on his Neo three three three. Then, yeah, things things are looking, things are looking pretty good for Neo. I think they can they can surprise on a few other occasions this season. Jim, when you have a run like Neo have had where points have been so hard to come by. How much of a boost is a result like that to team morale and, you know, how you can kick on and, and, and repeat that sort of thing? Huge, Andrew. Uh, you, you can't underestimate it. You know, the guys um, that work in the Neo garage are doing the same hours, if not more, than uh, the guys in the Mercedes garage, uh, you know, winning on a regular basis. And, Morale, you know, does suffer. There's no doubt about it. If every week, you know, you're not getting a result. So to get some kind of result and, you know, a double points finish will be a massive lift for them. There'll be a spring in the step and they'll go to Monaco um, in a very, very different frame of mind. So it's a huge boost. Never underestimate what what a boost that is. Um, and, you know, Oliver Turvey as well. He's had some really, really lean years. Uh, he's talented. We know that. Um and Dan Tictum, uh, clearly not short of confidence. Uh, he's he's going to be, as, as uh, Sam alludes to, you know, he could be a major player in Formula E in coming years. So really good to see them taking a few steps forward. And no one in the paddock will, will be uh, uh, will begrudge that for them. They're, they're good guys. Sam, one of the performances that, well, didn't go under the radar because you made mention of it, and I, and I saw Jack did as well, but unrewarded Sete camera was a bit of a star for Dragon Penske this weekend as well wasn't he yeah he was he, he deserves a mention to Sergio because he um he was he was on it he's he's always on it and he can always drag times out of the Penske EV5 um but he's always on the edge as well and we saw that in in qualifying didn't we on um on Sunday when he he managed to get it uh, on the cusp of the duels and then went for it again and, and could have possibly scraped into the duels, uh, but um, but locked up and, and hit the wall. Uh, thankfully, didn't do too much damage. Um, but extremely difficult for those guys this season um, with that package. I think their prospects are probably lower than Neos, which is going to be a real um, a test of their morale for the season. But I think with this news that their future, um, certainly the um, the manufacturer partnership that they will have for the first time, because they've previously always been a, a manufacturer themselves, but I think many have wondered why the the management there, Jay Penske and, and, and Nicholas Medwi, have not looked at this before. But eventually they have. I think a lot of things will be addressed. And I think that could be a, a decent proposition for the future. But whether or not Sergio Sete Camera will be in, a part of that, I'm not sure. I did sort of tentatively ask him at the weekend, and he's things are still being worked on there. He's part of the um, the, the, the Julian and Alexander Jacobi stable of, of drivers, of which there are many in Formula E. So I think he's in a, a reasonable position to get a drive, but I'm just not sure that it will be with that team. But let's see. Hopefully hopefully it can be. But he was, yeah, he is He's one of those drivers that can excavate times from um, equipment that uh, you don't think is possible and uh, is great to watch as well. You know, he's a super reflexy driver, so always a, a bit of a crowd pleaser. And, and, of course, at the minute, Antonio Giovinazzi, who had another pretty wretched weekend on, on home soil, um you know, I think that it's a huge test of Giovinazzi's motivation and willing to be part of Formula E uh, for the future. That really, he, again, he's got the same, he's got the same uh, difficulties and the same challenges as Sete Camera. But but Giovinazzi has to do what Tictum's doing. He has to push and beat Sete Camera quickly. Otherwise, his stock is going to is going to plummet. That's just the reality of racing at this level. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right, Salmon. It's quite interesting with Sergio Sete Camera because for a team looking at, at drivers for, for the future, as every team does, 
you look at him and say, well, look, there's something there, but he has too many crashes. There's too many times he's in the wall. And then you, the question is, well, is it because the machinery is not up to it, so he's overdriving? If that's the case, can he then come back to just below the limit when he's given better machinery? And that's a big question mark because you, you don't know the answer to that. Um, but if, if, you, if you look at the number of incidents that Sergio's had, there are too many. Um, but in defence, he hasn't got the equipment. How do you judge a driver like that? Very, very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jim, we haven't uh, really spoken in depth about your team uh, from this weekend. Uh, Jake Dennis, unbelievable pace, but ultimately unrewarded. Uh, it must be both a shame and very frustrating for the team to, to see all of that pace go unrewarded like that. Oh, massively, uh, massively frustrating. I mean, to, to run second in both races and to come away with zero points from a double header is really massively frustrating i i think if you, if you look at the the three um or well, the, the four uh races we, we we've had so far with five two two in daria uh one in mexico and then the two in, in rome it's been very up and down for 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 the team um qualifying pace uh was was not bad in daria but not ultimately quick enough qualifying pace in rome was was superb um, and in between, in Mexico, couldn't get the car uh, a handle on the car at all. Um, and I think probably what we've seen is that the car is now hooked up in in, in qualifying, but in, it hasn't got a race set up yet, which is is good enough to uh, maintain that pace, the qualifying pace, and, and consume the amount of energy that we need to consume. It's it's, it's over consuming. So it, it's difficult. Um, the engineers are all working hard at it. There'll be more and more simulator sessions to try and find that balance. But, you know, there is a lot of hope there. I mean, that, that lap, what was it, a, a 37.9? Yep. 137.9 for, for, for Jake in, in uh, the semifinal was a stonking lap. And yet it looked totally under control. It was a really, really good lap. I'm just looking at my notes here from that, Jim, and um, and I was listening to Jake's radio, and he, he came on, and he was, you know, he wasn't initially cock-a-hoop. He said that he, I think he locked up at 10.16 and, and thought he'd thought he'd smoked it. You know, he thought he'd um, lost a lot of time there, but didn't. Yeah. So it, it, it actually could have been, you know, I don't know by how much, but, you know, even if it had shaved a couple of... Um, thousands or hundreds off it, it would be you know it would have been exceptional i mean perfect lap but i was super impressed by him and continue to be so um really unfortunate that he didn't get a result from the weekend because he absolutely deserved it he did deserve it i mean if it was a, if it was a criticism i would say in race two on, on on sunday i think he got his himself in a position where he could be bullied and i think if if, if he was running back through the videotape and doing it again, he probably positioned his car slightly differently um, if, if given the chance again. So he, he wasn't in a position to be bullied. But he punched back, didn't he? I mean, I think he's been he's been guilty of that last season um, in a few races. But he punched, you know, when you go wheel to wheel with the likes of Lotterer, and Degrassi, you you have to, you know, you can't be bullied. Correct. And I think I think he um, maybe there was a slight overcompensation at times that he went, you know, he went a little bit too far the other way. But at, at the same time, you know, where where do you um, where do you draw the line on these things? Because Lotter and Degrassi, as the evidence suggests, um, you know, they they don't they, they don't back out, and they um, they will use every tactic known to. To, to anyone to to get what they want and, and often it, it you know it goes um it goes over the line i would add to that imagine his frustration in the car yeah. you know you can you know having done the fastest lap of anyone over the rome weekend um to then have a car which wasn't as good underneath him in in, in race trim must be an enormously frustrating can, can we touch a little bit on that that time do we do we have a comparison in in like for like weather conditions on that Rome circuit to gauge the progress that the teams and the drivers have made in 
the last couple of years of, of Generation 2. Sam, do you want to go off and, uh, and do some Googling while uh, Jim and I talk? You've just, uh, you've just given me an idea for a feature. <laughs> I'm not sure I can do it within the confines of this podcast, Jim. But I'll... We can always edit the gap out if you want. If you want I can, all of this can just be cut out if you need two minutes. But you, you get my point. Yeah. I, my, my sense is that we are going appreciably faster. And it's the same hardware, it's exactly the same chassis, it's the same tyres, it's the same lump of, of, of energy in, in, in the battery. And yet the times are getting, you know, it's just more impressive times. We're also doing longer races because we're getting this additional time. It's very, very impressive. Mm. Of course, the season, uh, sorry, the circuit changed, didn't it, last, um, last season? Um... But we've had two years now on that configuration of circuit haven't we yeah last year was obviously affected by weather what was what was the first year of the of, of the new one uh it was it was last season but of course the the weather was um the weather was inclement um was changeable but i think if i if i remember rightly in the um in the qualifying format and i've been ultra dexterous here with my my um my index finger as we uh, we're talking <laughs> as we're talking if you put me under enormous pressure here jim but you know pole position for uh the first race which i think was the driest point of, of that weekend somebody will probably uh correct me with more uh forensic knowledge of it but you know oliver Rowland set pole at 138.4 um and that was in qualifying group two right so um yeah, obviously you've got to factor in as well the the fact that it was a very different qualifying format. But yeah, I mean, you know, you you you're talking half a second there, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, which um, is which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. Well done, Sam. You can go back to more familiar territory now with your uh, news and calendar update. We saw Maserati officially launch its uh, entry for season nine uh, ahead of the race, and um, depending on when we get this podcast out, you're either just about to write or have just written about another new team that's uh, entering the championship. Yeah, so that I mean, the latest news first. Um, I think there's a very good chance um, from from speaking to various people last weekend in Rome that that we will see the return of Apt for season nine the first season of gen three i think their plans are are forming at a pace and uh there seems to be some real optimism that they will be back on the grid next season um we're not exactly sure on the details of how they'll be powered but i think when you deduct um where the manufacturers are and the deals that have been done already that um, it's likely to be either Mahindra or or Neo Power for them next season. With the I think the the favourite being being Mahindra. Uh, Thomas Biermeyer, the the CEO of the company, was in evidence at Rome, and I got chance to to speak to him uh, mainly off the record. But we having we do have a piece um, already out there now now uh, this week, which uh, details some of of what we think will be happening there they were quite close last year to to continuing in the championship for this last season of gen 2 um which we uncovered at monaco last year with the um what was then uh, agreed to be a partnership with the segi tv company a streaming media service uh, based in the states but that that faltered at the last and and, and didn't happen which left out high and dry um so they've sat out this season but yeah i mean i think they are determined to be there and i think that things are coming together and there's a very good chance i mean it's not you know it's it's not done until it's done but uh the expectation is that the apps will return to the championship um drivers wise i think you know they the the, the names you would expect uh robin Freins, um rene rast nico muller will all be in the mix should this come off. Um, so it will be a very, very strong proposition. So it'd be great um, should that all happen. But like I said, the indications in recent weeks are that the momentum is gathering and things are falling into place and, and it looks good for, for their return. Maserati announced that they will essentially um, take over the, the Venturi uh, team, the Venturi name for which Jim worked for for several years, will will disappear from Formula E, and it will become a a Maserati Formula E team run from Monaco. Continues to be run from those premises. Um, and there was uh, Davide Grasso, um, the Maserati chief, and and the Stellantis Motorsport boss, Sean Marquino, were in evidence 
at Rome as well, and, and Carlos Tavares, uh, who I was um, fortunate enough to spend some time with and, and, and pick his brains about Formula E and what it means to Stellantis and doubling their entry into the championship, which again you can read on the site um, towards the the end of the current week, uh, was very interesting indeed. So yeah, these the, you know these stories are coming now, and I think in the bigger picture of, of Formula E. I'm feeling, and I'm sure Jim is feeling, that there is a, a rise to to, um, to to go towards the kind of peaks we saw in 2018, 2019, where multiple manufacturers are getting more interested. We we know that McLaren are, are close to, to coming into the championship, yet to be absolutely done, but I believe that that is a sort of a, a kind of due diligence, uh, things are going on there. So that allied to Maserati and, and potentially apps coming back and um, what, huge, hugely important figures such as Carlos Tavares are saying about Formula E, that is a major cocktail of optimism and, and feel-good factor. So that is, uh, that I think, is putting Formula E in a, in a much better place than it was 12 to 18 months ago. Is that the case, Jim? Is, is Formula E about to boom again? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think we saw in Season 5 a very, very steep curve, uh, upward curve, <clears throat> faltered through the pandemic, um, largely through no fault of, of, of Formula E's or anybody's. Um, I also think that the qualifying format was a major uh, own goal, uh, which upset some of the manufacturers who uh, were investing a lot of money and, and couldn't uh, guarantee success um, by going through their normal process of, of motorsport process. So, yeah, that put Formula E on, on the back foot. But, yeah, the, the swing is, is upward again. Uh, Maserati announcement w- was great news. Um, if, as, as we all hope, McLaren come in, that will also be great news. But I, I think we should not think that we desperately need more manufacturers into to the formula. But I do think we need good teams. Um, and, and, you know, the apt team has, has proved previously that, they were good uh, in conjunction with Audi. Can they be good on their own uh, with someone else's is powertrain? Um, time will tell. And, and being good is is not just about management and, and and technically how good they are. Can they find the money? You know, finding the money uh, even with with cost cap is is not easy. And if you haven't got the money, then you won't be able to choose the drivers you want and your simulation and other areas which are performance um, deciders will, will become more of an issue. And, and you know, that, that, that's the challenge, finding the money, putting together a, a strong team, and then running it efficiently. And, and to back that up, I just point to the performances of the Venturi and Envision teams, you know, are not manufacturer teams running right at the front consistently, winning races, very, very strong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think both of those, but Envision in particular, you know, the the their ability to punch above their weight is uh, is really superb, and um, you know, great to see Frines properly mixing that out the front there. Yeah, and adding a little bit of maturity to the raw pace he's he we, we've always known he's had. Um, he looks he looks much more composed and and uh, mature these days. Do you know what he said to me in Rome? He said uh, I was asking him about the the track and preparation. He just he just you know what he's like. He's such a great character. He just sort of nonchalantly went, "Sam, I'm not a sim driver. I'm a race driver. I race." I don't even want to go in the sim. <laughs> it's just a sort of <laughs> really good laconic sort of uh, expression of what he's all about, which is, uh, you know, hanging it out there. And, yeah, he's, he's having a great season. And uh, he's definitely going to be in the mix towards the end of the year, I think. And he'll be turning up in Monaco with a leather helmet and goggles. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Monaco, before I let you both go, I'm going to have to ask for your uh, predictions for the race and put you on the spot. But I'll go first just to help. I think the guy who's managed to win a race in every season so far will have his time and it's going to be a, a Sam Bird win. Bold, very bold. But, yeah, I mean, you know, He's going to have to do it the hard way, isn't he? With three place grid drop, uh, be a... I think that'll give him the the inspiration he needs. You know, could do so only three places. It's not a lot. Could do. I think it's going to be another mega race, and I I think a lot of the guys who were in that top bunch last season will be there again. The cost the cost has got a point to prove. Um, Vern is in great form. I think Mercedes, although it's not the strongest circuit, you know, 
De Vries would have been there or thereabouts last year if he hadn't have knocked off the power uh, mode or gone into a different power mode in qualifying. So he's going to be around thereabouts. But I'm just going to go back to to uh, to the um, the the Dutchman, the the, the other Dutchman, Robin Freins. I think um, his flair um, and his form and that extra bit of maturity as Jim described it as I think uh, I think Robin Frines will break this barren spell that he's been on he's not won a race since New York in 2019 would you believe nearly three years ago which is astounding so I'm going to go for, for Robin to to win in Monaco and, and he'll celebrate it with a you know he'll celebrate it with a little kip on the pit wall uh, his favourite favourite spot I would think afterwards <laughs> well I've got to go for Jake Dennis um, I think the form he's in uh, in qualifying uh, we'll see him put it on pole and if you're at pole in Monaco, you can win a race, even in Formula E. Uh, so I'm going for Jake. Uh, it's his type of circuit. He's going to rise to the occasion. Nailed on. Avalanche Andretti. There we go. Well, we heard it here first. Well, thank you both for that. Jim, best of luck for Monaco. And uh, hopefully the bookie will take your bet, uh, despite your insider knowledge. Uh, and for the rest of the season, Sam, enjoy the weekend away from any racing. Um, if there is any news, uh, we'll have it all up on the uh, therace.com don't forget the hyphen uh, and please check out our other podcasts on Formula 1 IndyCar and MotoGP and if you like some video content then check out the race on YouTube so uh, thank you all very much and goodbye The Athletic <laughs>